to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick. And as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, disaster recovery, resilience, crisis management, COVID-19, and anything that's relatable to those topics. Speaking of topics, if there is something you'd like us to talk about Mm -hmm. on the show or you'd like to be a guest, please feel free to go to the Voice America page. Uh, for the show, and there is a button underneath the graphic that says send the host an email. I do get all emails, and I do respond to everything I get. Also, if there's a product or service you'd like to talk about related to crisis management or disaster recovery, etc., please feel free to contact me the same way, and I can get you some information on that. A reminder, I will be at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference, which will be virtual uh, this year, October 7th and 8th. I will be presenting a topic there, and I'll also be having a live channel, hopefully speaking to some of the speakers there and giving some of my own commentary. So uh, please check that out, Continuity and Resilience Today conference. Uh, Another virtual conference I'll be participating and speaking at uh, this year is the BCI World Conference, uh, which would have been in Birmingham, UK this year. Um, But that conference, the virtual conference, will be November 5th and 6th. And I'd like to thank everybody at Stone Road and their product, BoastAssessment.com, for sponsoring today's show and their product um, that helps you track all your resources and the status of your program and where you need to focus some resources. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about uh, something a little different. I know we've had a lot of shows recently about uh, COVID-19 and uh, different planning aspects. Um, Today, we're going to take a little bit of a different turn. I was introduced to today's guest through the gentleman at Adaptive BC, uh, Adaptive Business Continuity, David Lindstedt, and uh, he suggested I reach out to this person because uh, they had some really interesting things going on in Latin America with regards to business continuity, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. I never had anybody from there before, so let's get some new perspectives and some new ideas. So I'd like to welcome to the show today... Timothy Graziani. Timothy, welcome to the show. Alex, thank you very much. I'm really uh, I'm excited to talk to you because I, I, I want to. I, I'm really hoping to hear some new things that are happening down in Latin America and get some different perspectives. Obviously, a lot of times, you know, I hear them what's in, in Western Europe or Australia or Canada, U.S., but never anywhere sure. from Latin America. Like I said, so I'm really excited about talking to you. Thanks. That's interesting. That's a great opportunity, actually. So thank you very much for, uh, for receiving me. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you're here. And, I'm, and thanks, David, if you're listening, uh, for introducing us. <laughs> uh, before we get started, Timothy, could you kind of give us uh, uh, one or two minutes uh, of your biography, you know, how you got into the industry and what you do? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, let's say, uh, I, w- I would start with my na- nationality because I-, I represent here the Latin America, but I'm not from here. I'm French. I come from Paris and I live in the uh, Dominican Republic uh, since uh, 2008. 
Uh, I've been working in business continuity management since 2005. I started when I was uh, in Orange Business Services in France. Uh, when several banks ask us about data center services and uh, uh, spaces for their recovery solution. So this is how into the business continuity uh, uh, industry. I was dealing with major banks at this time, so I, I had the chance to see a lot of great stuff like uh, free data centers and load balancing, and it was in 2007. So for me, that was my first, very first step in, uh, in the industry. So um, I decided to dig in more in business continuity. You know, I mean, a lot of people wanted to be a, a firefighter, like a little, little guy wanted to be a firefighter. I, I didn't get the chance, but I was like, okay, it's the kind of firefighter for, uh, for companies, for organizations. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I thought that was a great opportunity to me, for me to, 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 to do that. And uh, I got my classical certifications with the BCI, the ISO 22301, and maybe less classical, like uh, organizational resilience with the CRO, it's a center of investigation in France, and adaptive business continuity with David Lynchstedt and Mark Almore. And um, I came to DR, uh, I mean, Dominican Republic, not disaster recovery, uh, in, in 2008 for a, for a project with Orange. And 12 years later, I'm still here. I worked in different companies as a business continue, continuity manager. And I decided three years ago to, to create my own firm, uh, consulting firm, located in the Caribbean and South America, specialized in organizational resilience. The name, the name is Cap Resilienza, which is like uh, objective uh, resilience. Mm-hmm. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, David, when David first introduced us, he mentioned that um, uh, you and some colleagues had put together a, uh, a conference or something, uh, if I recall, the end of June. Can you kind of yes, indeed. A, a little bit yeah, of Thank, thank you for mentioning that. that. Uh, that was, uh, we, we, we did that for two years, actually, in 2018 and 2019, but it was more local in Dominican Republic. And the name was uh, uh, Resiliencia RD, which is like uh, resilience uh, in Dominican Republic. Uh, so it was very local, and we wanted to bring people together, speaking about risk management, business continuity management, crisis management, uh, uh, critical infrastructures, uh, etc. So that was that was very nice. We had like uh, hundreds of people coming from uh, all the uh, Dominican Republic, and and in June we decided to go international. So, so it was a decision we took last year, but last year we wanted to do like a, um, a, a conference in Punta Cana, you know, with the resort and all the stuff. But uh, due to the, 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 the COVID-19, we decided to switch over and we did it online. We did it for free and we, we, we managed to get like uh, 2,300 people from all Latin America. With uh, 28 uh, speakers, with three uh, three key speakers, so that was actually a great <laughs> a great meeting. We we had a lot of people from everywhere in uh, in Latin America, so that was very interesting to see all the people uh, getting more interested, of course, in, uh, in resilience regarding what is happening now. And congratulations on that. Uh, from what I heard with David, Thanks. it was a success too. And from hearing you, uh, that's really great. No. Yeah, it was. It was very big surprise. You know, when you organize um, that kind of event, you you you, you expect like like uh, hundreds maybe, 
people, so like so many people from everywhere. I mean, even from Europe and Africa, we got people from there. So that was pretty nice. Well, uh, well, now you you've kind of set the bar yeah. for next year, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Next year it would be. Uh, uh, it was a three days event. Uh, next year it would be a five days event. One one day for a, a kind of a group of discipline. Uh, for personal resilience, organizational resilience, uh, crisis management, and things like that. And it would be in Spanish and in English. So that would be a, uh, that would be a great uh, challenge for us to, to organize that kind of, uh, of event. Well, see, now you're going to have to send me some information and keep me updated, because now that you mentioned English, I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the kind of, uh, of, uh, of the objective. Yeah, we, we want to, to bring also people that, have somehow much more experience from other countries. Like they can also speak to Latin professionals in in that kind of conference. So that's why we want to to, to introduce also like professional from other countries. Well, that leads me to another question now. See, I'm already going off script. What do you know? Um, With with your conference being so successful, does that mean there's a uh, a need for organizational resilience and business continuity management in Latin America? Uh, well, uh, that's an interesting point because you know I, I think that's maybe uh, an overall issue. It's the mix uh, or the, the the wrong understanding of organizational resilience or what is or, or what is organizational resilience. I don't want to speak about that right now, but it's just that uh, in in Latin America, it's to, it, they're uh, like uh, these countries are not that mature on this on this kind of uh, of, of discipline. But it doesn't mean they're not doing anything about that. At contrary, they are moving a lot on business continuity management, on risk management, crisis management. They are doing a lot of stuff. So, so now we, you, you can find uh, really mature organizations in Latin America. It, it's not, they are not going to be all in the same country. That's the point. But in the entire continent, or actually have, uh, in Latin America, you will find a lot of companies that have a great maturity regarding uh, risk management, operational risk, risk management, if we're talking about banks, also about government. So, so there are a lot of needs now because uh, organizations uh, have identified a lot of weaknesses and a lot of needs. So it became very necessary for, for, for them to, to get some help uh, regarding that point. And, and from a general point of view, I'm with you. They, they need help regarding uh, organizational resilience. Was there anything that um, happened in Latin America to trigger the, uh, the sudden need by so many that, like, hey, this is kind of an important topic now. Was there an event? Or uh, something that's that interesting. I, I don't think so, actually. You, you know why? Because uh, in Latin America, for decades, they, 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 and until now, I mean, they're living in such hard situations. This is a tough continent. I mean, people are living uh, with poverty. Uh, they're living with dictatorships, and some are still on. Uh, others are the long stories and destroyed all the economy of uh, of their country. Uh, they have disasters. I mean, uh, we have like uh, 
uh, huge event. Uh, I mean, Puerto Rico, of course, this is U.S., but it's like a hundred kilometer. It's a hundred kilometer from uh, from Dominican Republic. Uh, it's, uh, it was three years ago. Uh, we had the, the Hurricane Maria. Um, other countries have uh, uh, volcanoes. They have earthquakes, like Chile, like Mexico. So they always live that kind of event. They, they, it's not like there is something that, that, that triggers that. But I can honestly tell you that for the, about the three, four years ago, uh, I don't know what happened, but a lot of regulations came, came in. So I think that was the signal. And maybe the banks helped a lot because they had a lot of regulations. And uh, it, he, I, I guess he helped a lot of uh, government and other organizations to see the interest of risk management and to integrate that into their organization. So with, with all of that information, how are you defining, because uh, you said you'll get into it later, but I'm going I'm to ask you now, how do you define <laughs> organization uh, resilience and resilience in, in general? Uh, yeah, um, I think most of... Uh, it's not most. A lot of professionals now are confused regarding organizational resilience. Honestly, I'm reading a lot about that. Uh, well, when you have a company with resilience in the, in, the, in the title, you have to know what you're talking about. And mm-hmm. I learn from people that are supposed to know. And, and I'm learning resilience with, the, with, with psychologists because it, most of it, it came from there. And you get some, some, some people that in the 50s, for example, like uh, Amy Werner, who were like the kind of uh, first lady who talked about modern uh, uh, resilience. I mean, these guys were very clear about what was resilience even, even now, like a, a French, uh, a, a French uh, a psychiatric that talked about resilience very clearly now. So I would, I would just give the first definition that, they, that came up when you, you look for a resilience, which is the, the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats of significant sources of stress. And these guys were talking about people, people that suffered like uh, violence in their family. Amy Werner, for example, she studied like uh, 700 uh, children. Uh, that have everything, alcoholic, drugs, uh, violence in their family. So uh, she, she was not like studying difficulties at school. She was studying people that have trauma in their lives. So when we are speaking about resilience for an organization, if we stick to the, the, the original definition, we are talking about trauma, not uh, incident that brings them a kind of experience of wisdom to the companies. We are more related to crisis management because we are talking about situations that traumatize so much the organization that they have to find somewhere the strength, the solution to, 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 to survive the, the, the event. And maybe the COVID is now the, the, the greatest example because it touched everyone. When it touched someone else, you can learn some stuff, but it doesn't touch yourself. So, so it's kind mm-hmm. of, of, of different. So they, the psychologists associate resilience with transformation due to trauma. So I think this is what we should talk about when we talk about organizational resilience. 
I mean, even if organizational resilience came now with, uh, with an ISO, with the ISO 22316, for example, uh, it doesn't make the, 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 the resilience that clear for, for, for us. Uh, when you are looking at the ISO 22316, for example, uh, how to get, how to become resilient, it's, uh, it's like talking about everything but already exist in an organization. So it's very hard for a manager to understand what is the difference with business as usual and what is organizational resilience because for them it's like, okay, this is what we want all the time. So what is it exactly to become resilient? So that's why we, uh, I really think we need to be very careful about that because people most of the time, honestly, that's why I'm listening, I don't know if you read the, the last uh, uh, production from the, 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 the Basel Committee, and they were talking about organizational resilience, but when you're reading that, you're reading business continuity, risk management, and crisis management. So it's like, uh, is it another way of saying uh, resilience? Uh, or is it another way to say business continuity? I think not. I, I think organizational resilience has its own definition, and we need to be very careful how we mix things and how, to, how we explain that to our executives in the organization. And I've got some questions for you on that, because I think your explanation right. was fantastic. So on that note, we are talk, we're going to come to the end of our uh, first segment. We're talking with Timothy Graziani, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. Join hosts Navanav every week for Good Morning Canada. Our home is Canada, but our message and reach is boldly global. Our focus is on the alternative perspective, the hidden dimension, and the expansive horizon. Ideas are designed to be challenged, perceptions shattered, and information balanced. We invite you to visualize the converse viewpoint, dare to be inquiring, but always promise an hour of lively fun. Listen worldwide at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Thank you. 
You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Timothy Graziani and talking about business continuity and resilience in Latin America. Um, Timothy, in the first segment uh, at the end there where you were talking about organizational resiliency, um, I thought that was fantastic because I completely agree with you. It drives me absolutely crazy when people start, uh, you know, vendors uh, especially, you know, buy my product and you can be, you know, resilient. And I look at that, you know, that's, you're, you're talking about technology recovery usually. You know, that's not organizational resiliency. So It is not, definitely. With, with me saying that, could you, kind of, now that you've told us what organizational resiliency is, could you kind of clarify for some of our listeners what organizational resiliency is not? Sure, sure. Um, let's say that um, to be very, very clear on that part, organizational resilience is not a, a synonym of business continuity management. Let's say that way. It's not the synonym of risk management. It's not the, the synonym of, uh, of crisis management. Uh, I, I think people have to understand that it's, it's not that it's not a, just a synonym. It's a it's a group of activities. When you're looking at organizational resilience, most of the time you will understand that resilience in, is an emerging property. So it's like an attribute of the organization. It's what you become as an organization. So it's not just one thing. It's just not one product. It's just not one service. It's, not, it's just not like one thing you can, uh, like you, you were saying, like, oh, yeah, I'll buy something and you are resilient. No, it's a, a bunch of activities. It's a result of different activities we need to implement, we need to execute in order to become resilient. Or maybe, let's say, the way psychologists saying that, are saying that is like, you really know you are resilient only when you get the crisis. Before, it's just about preparedness. So, so you have to be very careful about how, how, like, uh, how sure you're about uh, uh, yourself. But you're, you, you should be more focused on the activities you need to implement and to execute to become resilient as an organization. So I would say that. It's not a synonym. It's not, let's say, a discipline by itself. It's, it's more an interdiscipline also. Uh, so it will maybe help more people to understand what is organizational resilience finally. Okay, great. Well, I know we got on a, a track on there for organizational resiliency, but I really liked what you had to say, so I just kind of wanted to continue that for a little bit. Sure. Um, now, you also mentioned in the uh, first segment, some uh, you hinted at some of the challenges that uh, uh, countries have in Latin America. Now, knowing that, you know, and I'm probably going to speak uh, like a, a, a stupid person way, uh, way up north here, the only challenges I ever see on the news for Latin American countries are hurricanes. Now, <laughs> there's, there's probably got to be more challenges than that that people uh, in Latin America face. And what are some of those? And how do you deal with those down there? 
you know, I, I could probably answer the hurricane one, but, you know, because I see it on the news, but, you know, there must be other challenges that happen there. And how, how do uh, the countries and people in Latin America deal with them? Yeah, uh, that, that's, uh, that's great. You, you mentioned that because uh, I can say that because I'm French. So I came from a country which is completely assisted. People are totally assisted for everything. Uh, here in Latin America, of course, we have uh, some countries that are more uh, advanced than others. But from mm-hmm. a general point of view, and in order for people to understand how we live here, uh, of course, uh, I'm not Dominican, I'm French. So I, I just come from with, uh, with another point of view, and i not the, maybe the, the best representative for all Latin America. But I, can't, I lived here for, for 12 years. So I can give you a, a very clear overview. And people are living uh, like daily with uh, contingencies and situations. From a general point of view, they live with poverty. As I mentioned, they live with wars. They live with civil war, uh, wars most of the time. Uh, they live with uh, uh, floods. Uh, they live with a dictatorship. Uh, I, I was mentioning that uh, before. And a lot of corruption which makes countries and especially infrastructures that, ha- that should help people that are not working. I mean, all the time we have, uh, like, a power failure. Uh, I live in a country where in the contract for power, you have, um, uh, uh, we, you have an article that's saying, okay, we, we sell you only 20 hours. We, we can only guarantee you 20 hours of power per day. Because we can't, we can't give you the, the, the complete, the 100% 24 hours a day. Because people are used to live with power failure. So this is kind of something very weird when you come from a country like mine, and where you live also, Alex. So mm-hmm. it's, very, it's very difficult for us. But people are used to that. And are not even complaining about that. They live with the situation. So by definition, with what we mentioned earlier, they are resilient. These guys transform themselves in order to adapt to, 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 to situations and contingencies all the time. So that's, that's actually fantastic. That's why when you came in vacation, you are actually like a kind of surprised by people that always are smiling. And yeah, they're always smiling because they find a way to be happy and to deal with contingencies all the time. So it's not bothering them. And that's something you can learn as a person. But for an organization, I think you can learn a lot from people who, uh, who live here. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they, it's interesting you said that because I, as you were talking, I was thinking, well, based on you know, what we talked about with resilience, would mm-hmm. the people of Latin America be more resilient than, let's say, we are in Canada? Because as your description, we have... You know, I, I don't want to say everything given to us on a silver platter, but, you know. <laughs> uh, you well, know, I'm not going to say thing. they're more resilient than people in Canada, but I can tell you they're more resilient than people in France. <laughs> I, I don't want to mention your country, but uh, I can definitely tell you that they are much more uh, resilient than people in, uh, in France. Yeah, I can say that. So, so you make it, your own conclusion now. <laughs> so if people are more resilient, then um, with organizations, why is uh, there maybe a lapse with organizations and, and governments if the people themselves are resilient? Shouldn't that, well, um, I, I that translate that's, uh, on? Well, I think that's the other side of the, 
of the coin. You know, when you are always dealing as a person, as an individual, you're always dealing with problems. You think that an organization thing is, uh, like works the same way, and that's not true. That's why I like organizational resilience, because it brings people together from different areas, uh, dealing with security and risk and other stuff, that working together like from an integrity uh, point of view, and they are working all on the same uh, objective, it's to become resilient. But if you don't do that as an organization, you're not going to make it. And that's the problem what governments which also have to deal with a lot of corruption and you know when you 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 evade money and you you deviate money where it's supposed to go of course not going to work much much less so 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 yeah they have to deal with a lot of things but as they are thinking with the same mind well most of the time well, organizations have, have, have issues because they want to deal with things that matters for an organization, and it's not the same way that you deal with, uh, with the people. Are there any uh, challenges in Latin America that um, constantly reoccur, like you know, problems with, tele, uh, te- what am I trying to say, telecommunications or communications in general, you know, or logistics? You know, are there, are there other those kind of challenges that happen, you know, uh, and... Uh, I, it just struck my mind. Could you also define the area that you're talking about when we say Latin America, just in case somebody isn't quite sure where that is? Yeah, okay, of course. Uh, let's say Latin America, all, all Latin and Spanish-speaking countries, or even Portuguese, because we have Brazil, uh, from uh, the Caribbean, uh, Central America, and, uh, and South America. So you, you can bring all these countries uh, together uh, in what we call Latin America. I guess some countries like Belize, for example, they speak English. They have they they are they are, they, they are in. Um, we are speak about um, Mexico, but uh, I, I guess we do because they're speaking uh, Spanish-speaking country. So all Latin America, yeah, you can bring down from starting Mexico to to the all south of, of the continent. Uh, so that's where to locate the uh, the, the Latin what we call uh, Latin America, or what I call actually uh, Latin America. And, and Dominican Republic is the it's a small country and an island uh, like close to Haiti, and we are on the same island uh, close to Puerto Rico. So. Uh, it's going to be a era like this, and it's part of the of the Caribbean. Um, so challenges regarding telecommunications, yes. Uh, uh, challenges regarding power, yes. Uh, all like basic uh, uh, big infrastructures that we are supposed to have and working well. And there are s- several like uh, big actors from telecommunication. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the U.S., uh, other countries uh, that are present, that are doing a great job. I mean, we have now much more cap- uh, capability uh, in uh, in terms of uh, of telecommunication. Uh, power is uh, is a huge, huge problem in many uh, many countries, uh, still in, um, in in Latin America, and uh, facing disasters like major disasters. I mean, we're talking about not only about hurricane, even we can have like a, a category five, but we have also earthquakes, volcanoes, 
and that kind of event uh, has terrifying uh, results and consequences for people who live there. So these yeah, that, are big challenges. Go ahead. Well, that, that area that uh, from Mexico down to the tip of Argentina, that's mm-hmm. massive. That's hundreds of millions of people. Is, am, am I correct? Indeed. Do, yeah, is, yeah. There, <laughs> is there any organizations that help, um, uh, you know, people in Mexico learn from events in Argentina or from Brazil or Ecuador or Dominican Republic, you know, the island of Hispanola, where you are, you know, uh-huh. is there an organization that, that kind of tries to bring all that lessons learned together? Well, yes, yes, very, uh, there are several, actually, so that's that's the good news. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to mention it, but one that came to my mind recently that deal a lot for example, is the NGO named Arise, and they are from Mexico, actually. Well, from Mexico. I mean, they're based mainly in Mexico, but they are dealing with a lot of, uh, like, uh, urban resilience uh, in and country and resilience for countries. So that was very, that's very interesting what they are doing in, uh, in, in the region. But, of course, you have uh, other NGOs that are doing that. You have also private companies. Uh, that are uh, organizing uh, events uh, like I did like, in, uh, in Jude. Well, the objective is kind of that. I mean, we did a free event. We, we, we gave a free event, for example, due to the situation. And it allows us to touch a lot of uh, and to reach a lot of people in order to share our experience from people from everywhere, from, uh, from Mexico, from Colombia, uh, from uh, Peru, from Bolivia, from Chile, from Dominican Republic, etc. So I, I think, yeah, people are doing a lot of stuff in order to share all that knowledge, experience, and to make it useful for everyone, actually. Yeah, because I, I was just thinking uh, in, in my mind as I'm visualizing a map and thinking of the size going, oh, my God, that's huge. You know, there's yes. hope that something that, that's true. That, you, that, you, you're right, Alex. <laughs> that's you know, I, I live there. I live here, so I I don't always realize. But now I'm, I'm listening to you. You're totally right. It's enormous. Yeah, yeah. yeah and so I was thinking, there's got to be a way of bringing some of that lessons learned. Um, you know, from Argentina to, like I said, Mexico to Brazil to, you know, Hispanola, to, you know, the islands in the Caribbean, you know, and, and, you know, we hear about earthquakes in Chile and things like that. And there's got to be a way that you can bring all those yeah. people together, you know, for Latin America who have a common language that they can learn, yeah. you know, from uh, each other. It, 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 it's, it's happening. It happened. People are, are, are doing that. I mean, I have friends. In Mexico, for example, they're the kind of people that are so into that, that uh, people from the ISO and from the BSI, they call them to help them with the ISO. Mm-hmm. And they are, they are very great reference. They're big, big names on the market. So there are people that are doing a lot of stuff now in Latin America. Well, that's good. That's, that's good to hear. Um, we've actually come to the end of our second segment. We'll take a break now. And now, and the next segment, I'm going to start asking you about COVID-19 and what's happening. Sure. <laughs> so I we'll be right back. We're talking with Timothy Graziani, and we'll be right back. Voice America. 
America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Get ready to go inside the lives of some of the top recording artists the music industry has known. Join host Troy Bronstein every week as he becomes a prince among queens. Troy discusses the careers and past, present, and future projects from these artists. And if there's time on each show, you just might hear some performance gems as well. Listen for Prince Among Queens every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation, Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance of success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Timothy Graziani um, about business continuity and resilience in Latin America. Uh, Timothy, lots of great information about Latin America. I'm really glad to hear things are, are moving forward for everyone down there and progressing and you know coming together. Yeah. I But I've saved mm-hmm. the best and biggest uh, topic for the end here. What's sure. happening in Latin America with COVID-19? Because to be honest, up here in Canada, I only ever hear about what's happening in the U.S., uh, Western Europe, maybe Australia, and a couple of spatterings of other places. I honestly don't know what's happening in Latin America. How are things being addressed? What's happening? Sure. Uh, thanks for, for, for the opportunity, Alex, to talk about that. Um, like I was saying before, I'm not from here. I, ju- I can just give an overview, and I'm trying to yeah. be very uh, simple and straight about what I'm seeing, uh, what I'm uh, listening from my colleagues in other, uh, in other countries that are working in risk and business continuity management. So, yeah, let's say we, uh, start with statistics. Statistics seems... Uh, representing us uh, in Latin America as the worst region now. Uh, a lot of uh, people contaminated, uh, people that are uh, uh, dying, etc. So numbers are not false. 
of course. Uh, there are a lot of things happening in, in, uh, in Latin America. Um, as I was saying, maybe it's important to, uh, to understand the context of that because um, many, many countries uh, don't, ha- don't have the, the infrastructures about health uh, that have other countries. So it can also un- uh, like explain why um, governments have more difficulties to deal with the situation. For example, in DR, in Dominican Republic, where I live now, we, we still have the curfew. Uh, because they have to deal with situations, and the, the only way they know uh, how to deal with that is it's to implement the curfew, and that's it, because you can't uh, manage all the, 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 the people uh, that are going to be uh, like uh, uh, sick with the COVID. And uh, I would not say that numbers of deaf people are, are so extraordinary. They are, they are big. There are people that are dying. I mean, if you want specific statistics, uh, we, you, everyone can find the information by country. So uh, mm-hmm. I would say uh, that part, people can look for uh, that, that part. But uh, there are countries that are living situations very difficult. I mean, I'm going to just give you an example to understand how it goes. For example, in Bolivia, where they, are, uh, they have created like crematorium mobile in order to burn the countries in the, in the street. So that's kind of things that are scary, you know. You, you, when, you, when you understand that, when you see images, when you see videos that are uh, circulating now on the, on, the, on, the net, on the social networks, that's kind of things that, oh, wow, that's, that's huge. Some countries are real difficulties to, to deal with the situation. So COVID-19 is doing, uh, uh, doing like a, a lot of bad things to, to different countries in Latin America. And it's not easy to deal with that because countries have uh, very uh, weak uh, infrastructures. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's difficult. Not quite impossible to deal, uh, to deal with that uh, because, as I said, numbers are not like that scary. Just that are bigger than other countries. Are there any, um, I guess, what I would call uh, success stories where things seem to be going rather well with regards to uh, not? Maybe that's the wrong way of saying it. Going well, but managing COVID nineteen um, uh, quite, you know, in a positive manner. Um, I would say that. Uh, you know, many of, of the countries in Latin America, they hold, also had uh, the, 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 the great moment uh, because of the, uh, of the decisions that they took at the right time uh, with the, the curfew at the right moment that avoid people to be uh, all sick at the same time. But the second waves, for example, that most of the countries are living now, uh, um, uh, unfortunately, uh, brought less great news so far. So I don't know. I, I didn't hear now uh, other countries, other great stories uh, regarding that uh, so far. But uh, but yeah, in many countries, I would say that uh, things are getting under control. But uh, I. I I would not be able to say more, much more than that. Well, that's still good. Uh, I, I 
did think of another question. Um, as, as you described the uh, size of Latin America, um, I'm wondering, is there a difference for um, managing disasters and, and COVID-19 included with um, the Caribbean islands versus uh, the, you know, the continental countries? Is there a difference between the two or should there be? Mm, that's an interesting question. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, actually. We, uh, when, when you think about the disasters, you realize, for example, we, most of the time we leave disasters quite differently from the islands uh, compared to, uh, to countries on the continent. So I guess we have something different to say. But, for example, like uh, Mexico, uh, Chile, they are very advanced regarding managing earthquakes. I mean, these guys are very professional regarding that. I mean, if you want to buy an apartment, for example, uh, you have to pass through, uh, I don't know how many regulations before getting the authorization. And and it's all regarding earthquake management. So they are very advanced regarding that kind of uh, of thing. So, So, yes, I would say countries, depending on the disaster, and depending, well, let's say natural hazard, depending on the natural hazard and depending where they're located, uh, they have a real, uh, uh, like, advanced way or more advanced way than other countries, definitely. Mm. Yeah, the, re- the reason why I was asking, I was thinking um, with, with up here, our border is closed with the U.S., you know, and I was wondering, is that the same kind of situation in Latin America you know, and so many islands in the Caribbean, you know, are those borders closed? You know, people travel between islands. You know, um, I, I'm i not even sure. I don't think that we can even uh, travel down that way. So that's kind of why I was, where I was coming from, going, you know, how are they managing that? Okay. Um, I would be very uh, careful about what I said. Why? Because uh, COVID-19 is just, it's not just uh, like... Uh, a health situation, health problem, or health crisis. It's also an economic crisis. I mean, you, 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 if you're taking, for example, Dominican Republic, it's a country that lives from tourism. So uh, shutting down frontiers like we did, like for months, uh, is killing the country, and it's going to kill more the country than the COVID will ever do. So it's very hard for government to take the right decision when you are in that kind of situation. And, you know, as I read, uh, as, as I read it and uh, as you read it, there are so many different points of view uh, how to manage the situation regarding the COVID and from everyone that are all specialists now. So it's very hard for them to take the decision. And it took months to reopen the frontiers, and now hotels are doing extremely, are extremely cautious how to deal with that. But because it became also a financial economic situation, very delicate for that kind of countries. And other countries are living on the, 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 the same thing. So, um, so yeah, the countries are taking care of the, of the COVID. They are doing a lot of stuff to uh, to fight the, the the COVID, taking a lot of uh, uh, precautions, but they also have to deal with other situations, and that's why cri- the, the COVID is uh, is maybe one of the greatest crises we have uh, ever lived now, because it's touching other things, not just 
the health of people. Yeah, that's why I was asking because I've known so many people that travel to the Caribbean and, you know, and many that have been to mm-hmm. um, the Dominican Republic. So that's kind of why I was wondering. Yeah, a lot of oh, Canadian how, guys, how, actually. How is that? <laughs> I'm going to DR. That's, that's nice. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. That's, now, uh, that's now kind of difficult for, for, for everyone. Yeah. Um, another question I had is, um, I know a lot of uh, people that have come from Latin America, and the culture is um, like uh, Southern European. They're very close. You know, people are very close. Yes, indeed. Are, are close. Has that proven to be any kind of challenge? You know, how have people uh, dealt with that? Because, you know, if social distancing, wear a mask, you know, stay apart from people, whatever the case may be, that's had to have yes. added some sort of a challenge to the culture in Latin America, which I know many of those people, like I said, are, are very close. You know, that is their culture. It's a very big challenge for, for Latin people to not, uh, like, uh, uh, hug each other. That definitely is something very terrible yeah. for them. But surprisingly, uh, honestly, I've never seen that uh, like uh, such uh, like um, wheel of dealing right, dealing rightly with the with the COVID. So many people took the right decision. They decided to respect the curfew and stuff like this. But one of the things that I saw also, that's why it's the biggest, it, it, it is the biggest challenge, is that if you let some liberty to the people, mm-hmm. they will hug them back again. So you have always to deal with people like this. It's like no freedom. You, you have to maintain people with the same discipline, uh, in, implementing curfews and stuff like this, because the day you take out the curfew, people are going back uh, in the same way as they were uh, doing before. So, so, yeah, they're respecting, but they have to do a lot of things in order to make people respecting. That's why it's, it, it, it is a big challenge for, uh, for Latin people. It is. Yeah, it, it, I'm saying that because I know one of my neighbors is Latin, and you know they're, you know, I, they call it up here touchy feely kind of a person, but I know that's, <laughs> you know, that's not what, what the literal translation, you know, I know it's a part of their culture. So I was kind of curious to see, you know, how that can play out in, you know, um, cultures where being close is. Uh, you know, uh, it's so ingrained in people. Yeah, indeed. But you know also that people forget very quickly. I mean, everyone, not, not Latin people or other, other part of the, of the world, like everyone, yeah. like, have tendency to forget very quickly what happened in the past. Which is, I mean, uh, I was asking them uh, uh, recently, have you ever prepared against a hurricane with what happened? three years ago, and they don't do that. <laughs> and I, I don't know in the U.S., uh, for example, or, or in Canada, how people are dealing with that. But, <laughs> I mean, many, many people are forgetting very quickly what happened in the past. They do it at the beginning for months, but after, like, two years now, it's not something that people are doing again because it's too far in their memory. Yeah, we're we're always you know either in the moment or looking forward. We're not looking behind us. So <laughs> Indeed, we, also that's true. We only have a, a couple of minutes uh, left. Um, uh, do you have any uh, final comments you'd like us to tell us about with regards to Latin America and business continuity and resilience? Um, 
I would say that um, Latin America, from a general point of view, is on the right path. Regarding resilience, regarding business continuity, risk management, they are on the right path. I mean, many governments uh, associated with uh, private companies like banks, etc., they are taking actions, they are, they are implementing, creating regulations. So it's helping a lot of people to be more sensitive about, uh, about resilience about disciplines that are related to organizational resilience, business continuity, crisis management, and other things. So it helps a lot. And, and I really believe now we're on the right path, and especially for the past maybe four or five years. That's, um, that's a great feeling that I have now. So there are a lot of things we can share between us and with other, other regions. Well, with you know people like yourself uh, leading that charge and putting together uh, that conference uh, like like you had in June and planning one for next year, you're helping you know bring all those people uh, on that path. So kudos. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, we'll try to do that. Well, we're we're definitely going to have to keep in touch because I I like to get more information on uh, your conference, you know, and sure, you pleasure. Know, uh, either be a part of it or talk to some people that uh, presented there, you know, and get some yeah, of those of Latin American, you know, ideas, you know, like I said, Mexico to Argentina is a massive area and there, I'm sure there's a lot of untapped uh, ideas and perspectives that could really, you know, come out to other people around the globe as well and help. Sure. Definitely. Well, thank you very much, Timothy, for sharing your time and expertise with us. I really do appreciate it. And you've educated this uh, little Canadian guy on uh, what's happening, uh, you know, about Latin America and, you know, where things are headed. I, so I really appreciate your time and uh, sharing, uh, sharing your expertise with us. Thanks, Alex. That was a real pleasure uh, sharing with you, with the, the people who are listening. Uh, I mean, I, I was... Already one listening uh, to your podcast, so I'm glad this time I'm I'm going to be part of it. So it's kind of privilege. <laughs> so thank you very much. Uh, as I suppose I can do that, I, I can invite people uh, to get in touch with us uh, regarding the the next event. If they want to become to to be a, a speaker, or if they want to participate, that would be great for us. We are we 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 want to share. Uh, all good practices, not best practices, good practices. I think that's a kind of yes. my, my, my final word, you know, like it exists good practices, not best practices. We want to, her, to listen all good practices and uh, to see how they can adapt to our culture because Latin culture is very different from, uh, from the North American, for example. So yeah. we really want to invite all, all people from other countries to, uh, to, to, to talk with us and and to share the good practices uh, regarding organizational resilience, that's going to be a, that's going to be great. And, and thank you for for that opportunity, Alex. And thank if, you very much. And you're welcome. And if I can help anyway, let me know. And on that note, sure. we've come to the end of our show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Timothy. And in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.